So today, um, we are starting a new series called Systematic Theology, um, and I have purposely rearranged the room a little bit because we're going to be using some of this stuff in the middle. Some of you are very excited about this. No, you're not going to get to play with them today. These are Caleb's so, and Anna Grace's, but that's all right. So if you've got your hand out on your table, we'll go ahead and jump in, and then we'll get to this. Um, I don't want to, I want to be very, very crystal clear on this topic but as we begin. Um, so the first two sentences of this series, the primary textbook for the structure of this series is Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. And this is what it looks like. <clears throat> okay? We are not going to cover all of this in a seven-week series. We're going to have seven different series spread out over two and a half years, maybe three years, that we will get through most of this, okay? The seven-week series that we are doing now is this much, okay? So this is a little more reasonable, right? Right? Um, you can get these at, I put a link on uh, the Facebook page at christianbook.com for $2.99 right now. They're on sale, so, and they deliver in a couple of days. Um, happy birthday. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Um, and, and it's a great little aid for doing bite-sized chunks of this type of work. So the primary textbook for the structure of this series is Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. The primary textbook for the substance of this series is the Bible. So I want to make sure that we're not confusing, that I'm, I'm teaching through Grudem's Systematic Theology because it's a good structure and it provides an easy method for me to teach the material. But the stuff that we're teaching and that we're learning is the actual scripture itself. So I'll make sure we're clear on that. So um, <clears throat> what is systematic theology? It's probably a, a good question. I actually found a video of Wayne Grudem explaining this concept. I'll give you his version. I sometimes am asked, what exactly systematic theology is? And over the years, and I just couldn't take any more. I got about 10 seconds in, it was like, oh my goodness, you're a brilliant writer and just a really lousy speaker. So um, I really wanted to show you a video this morning. I just couldn't put myself to put you through it. It just it was awful. So, so his definition of what systematic theology is, this is right underneath the introduction, is uh, systematic theology is any study that answers the question, what does the whole Bible teach us today about any given topic? What does the whole Bible teach us today about any given topic? Now, <clears throat> so let's, let's talk about the Lego that's on the tables here. So everybody's familiar with Legos. We know how this works. Justin, how do you spell Lego? L-E-G-O only took him three years to get it right, and yes, he got it right. That's fantastic. Thank you, sir. Um, most of you are familiar with the fact that you can go to, I love you too, brother, uh, Target or Walmart or Toys R Us or any store where they love children and hate parents, and you can buy exceedingly overpriced little pieces of plastic that snap together um, that I think Lego is a curse word in whatever language that it is in for what you say when you step on them at night. Um, but I don't know. We have a rule at our house that if daddy steps on one, that one gets thrown away. You may want to use that one at your house. We, we don't have problems with picking up Legos anymore at our house. So, um, so you can go and you can buy a kit, uh, a little box, and it'll have a picture on the front of the box, and this is what you are purchasing. Okay. So here's my big analogy for this entire series. 
If you read through the Bible, you start in Genesis chapter 1, you come to the creation story, and you go, wow, it's kind of neat. I see the parts of this. I see how it fits together. That's very helpful. And you go to Genesis chapter 2, and you continue the creation story. It's like, okay, I have no idea you know, how all of this works together. I don't know what this little part's supposed to do, but sure, it's there. Okay, fantastic. You get to Genesis chapter 3, and there's sin. And you go, wow, this is going to have a big impact on the rest of this book, I'm pretty sure. Right? And Genesis chapter 4 and chapter 5, this is Caleb's version of, uh, what did he call it? This was the, the Olympics where you snowboard down and, right? This is kind of cool. I thought that was kind of neat. The slope style skiing, yes, thank you. He thinks that's the greatest thing ever. And he's got some type of a monster watching over here because he thinks it's a Yeti. He thinks the Yeti's going to come out from the woods and cheer the slope style skiboarders on. Like, that's fantastic. Um, so you get to the flood and there's more and you get to the more stories and more stories and more stories and, and there's two fundamental fundamentally different, really, ways of teaching the Bible. One is to pick up Genesis chapter 1 and really go deep and try to take apart every single piece and figure out how it works and how it fits together and whatnot. And the other is systematic theology. And systematic theology takes the entire story of the Scriptures. And I love that we have the nice, fancy house at the end here. That was totally on accident, but... I don't think there's going to be pets in heaven, but that's okay. Um, we got the, we're at home with God in the end. Systematic theology takes and it looks for all of the red blocks in all of the stories throughout all of Scripture. It finds that concept and how it is explored and how it is developed and how it is explained all throughout. So, is this a good method? Well, yeah, because you, systematic theology helps us answer big questions, right? So what does God think about man? Well, you can learn some of that from Genesis 1 and 2 and 3, right? But you get the full picture when you look at that story all the way throughout. Does this make sense? So systematic theology, we're going to be looking at a lot of verses to establish points. And some verses are going to come in texts that we have looked at and we go, I have never known what to do with that before. And I have just, I couldn't even identify what, it's like a spider with a machine gun, right? So I'm just going to leave it alone and hope it fits in the big picture somewhere later, right? You ever read a passage of scripture and you, you thought that before? And you're just kind of like, I don't know what to do with that. That is some crazy stuff. So, so that is what systematic theology is. It is looking at what does the Bible teach about, the whole Bible teach us today about any given topic, all right? So a couple of words, systematic. Who knows what systematic means? We know what systematic means? Don't be scared of it. What does systematic mean? Organized, right? It's in order. It's some kind of a structure, right? And theology is what? The study of God and all things religious, okay? So systematic is just organized study of religious truth. So what's our schedule? I got the schedule there on the paper. Today is the introduction to the entire concept. This is just getting us used to what is systematic theology as a whole, where are we going? What's it going to look like? Those types of things. So the first section, and Grudem divides his book up into seven different major sections, seven different structures, um, is the study of the doctrine of the Word of God, which kind of makes sense, right? You've you, you got to start with where your truth is, and we'll develop that. So we're going to be answering questions like, what are the different forms of the Word of God? What belongs in the Bible? What doesn't belong in the Bible? How do we know the Bible is God's Word? Are there any errors in the Bible? 
can only Bible scholars understand the Bible rightly? For what purposes are the Bible necessary? How much can people know about God without the Bible? And is the Bible enough for knowing what God wants us to think or to do? So these big questions that is going to be really difficult to pick up any individual story in Scripture and answer specifically some of these larger questions about what's going on with the whole structure. So then, later on this calendar year, sometime around September, October, November, we'll look at the doctrine of God. In 2015, we'll look at the doctrine of man, Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Probably 2016, uh, application of redemption, that's Grudem's term for salvation. Uh, doctrine of the church, and then either late 16 or early 17, I'm a planner, uh, we'll get to the doctrine of the future. It's, it's out there in the future somewhere. We'll get to it, okay? That's my best joke for today. All right. So, so you might ask, well, Jim, why this book? And so has anybody ever taken a class on systematic theology? So I got one, I got two, three, four. Tim, you never took a systematic theology class? Yes. You did? Yes, he, he was so awful he didn't want to identify himself as having taken one. Yes, five, and I know Dave has taken a systematic theology class. Yes, six. Awesome. So uh, there are a lot of different books on systematic theologies, and I'm sure you all have studied these extensively and have done comparative analysis on literary styles and techniques, and you know, yeah, you're like, whatever, okay. That's not what I do. Okay. So there's a bunch of them. The, the first were actually written by some of the early church fathers. They didn't call them systematic theologies. They were just trying to answer big questions that the people that went to their churches had about how God and all of these things fit together. Um, so St. Augustine wrote one. Uh, Justin Martyr wrote one. Tertullian, Tertullian wrote one. Uh, fast forward a thousand years. Thomas Aquinas, Francis of Assisi. Uh, fast forward a couple hundred more years. John Calvin. Anybody ever read the Institutes of the Christian Religion? we really got to read more. Um, it's good stuff. Uh, anything from R.C. Sproul to uh, Joseph Ratzinger? Anybody know who that name is? Joseph Ratzinger? Anybody familiar? He has a different name now. Uh, Pope Benedict XVI. He wrote one. Um, John Wesley uh, Zwingli wrote one. So there's a lot of choices out there. So why did I pick this one? All right. So number one, it's based on the Bible. A lot of these guys wrote systematic theologies based on their experience. And and it's not bad, but it's not the best, right? If you had a perfect experience with all things theologically related, well, you could just talk about everything that you've learned, and you'd probably cover most of it. But I'd really, really, really rather base this off of the Bible. Uh, number two, it's clearly written. Uh, and then number three, it's application to life. At the end of each one of the chapters is a set of questions to ask about, so how are we going to use this? And Grudem really stresses this a lot because one of the things that we can get extremely prideful about is, and maybe you've, you've done this or one of your kids has done this, they've put together one of these Lego sets. Look what I did. I got it all figured out. It all neatly works together and it's wonderful and it's my precious. You've seen this before? Have you seen this with theology before? It's like, yes, I'm so wise. You should buy my book in the lobby for 19... No, sorry. Um, (laughs) I'm not going there, Stephen. I I know. You were thinking it, though, just like I was. Um, So we can get extremely prideful about this knowledge. And and the reality is, is, there is no passage of Scripture that is present in Scripture simply for our knowledge. 
There is none. The scripture is not present for our knowledge. The scripture is present. So, so why do we have the word of God? What does 2 Timothy, uh, Timothy say about that? That the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Yeah, so we have the scriptures in order to do the work. So if we have the scriptures to build our Lego sets of theology and set them on a shelf and to never do anything with them, that's sin. So I'm just going to be real blunt. And unfortunately, many of us have grown up in churches where it was a factory for putting together Lego sets and setting them on a shelf. Anybody familiar with that? Um, That's not what they're for. This is for, hey, do you see how this works? This is cool, isn't it? Because this means that there's police in the world and we're supposed to go help somebody. How cool is that? Let's go to it, right? Maybe, maybe this airplane concept, crap, we just lost the cargo. Jeez, that's a lot of cargo in there. Front door, there we go, thanks. All right, now we're sealed down ready for takeoff. Maybe this airplane concept means that we're supposed to go spread the gospel even to those who arrive late for Sunday school, right? Oh! Burn. Sorry. I will totally not edit that out of the podcast. That's okay. All right. So, so we're going and sharing the gospel and sharing the gospel and sharing the gospel because this makes a difference in our lives. If we say that we've put it together and we've packaged it neatly and we leave it on the shelf, guess what? It doesn't help anybody. And that's sin. So that's no good. So Grudem is all about do something with this. Do something with this. His quote is, Nowhere in Scripture do we find doctrine studied for its own sake or in isolation from life. (laughs) We are always to do something with this. And he has a warning in his book, too, in the first chapter. I love books that come with warnings. Somebody told me I should put a warning label on my Bible because it could change your life. I thought, that's pretty good. I like that. Grudem's warning, he says, It's inevitable that someone studying a systematic theology text or taking a course in systematic theology for the first time will have many of his or her own personal beliefs challenged or modified, refined or enriched. Just going to tell you, when you start to answer that question, why do I know that I know that I know that I know this? Because mama said so, don't hold up in systematic theology. Okay? It's got to be a reason. So, if you look at the schedule, if you look at the schedule, the doctrine of the Word of God, the doctrine of God, the doctrine of man, the doctrine of Christ and the Holy Spirit, the doctrine of application of redemption, the doctrine of the church, the doctrine of the future. So what is doctrine? It's probably a good question to answer, right? So Grudem defines it, doctrine is what the whole Bible teaches us today about some particular topic. So doctrine is looking this way you got to watch me. Doctrine is looking this way through the text. Doctrine is not looking this way through the text. Okay? you got to see through the whole thing. What happens, cults rise up and flourish when you only look this way. Because you get some tiny little piece. You go, it's about the Yeti. It's about the Yeti. No, it's not about the Yeti. Good grief. The Yeti's standing on the sideline. He's a minor character, right? When you look this way, 
you see it's about Jesus and that there's a better future at the end and that God will make things right. It's a whole different construct. So, you're going, so that didn't make any sense to me, Jim, so why should we study all this? I'm glad you asked that question. I put some blanks in the handout about that. So why should we study systematic theology? Number one, to fulfill the Great Commission. What's the Great Commission say? Go ye into all the world and do what? No, no, show off our Lego sets, right? <laughs> show them how we build Lego sets so that they can build Lego sets the same way. Oh, I did not intend for this to be nearly as caustic as that sounded, but we do that sometimes, don't we? You want to say, well, they're not doing church the way we do it. Okay. Guess what? God may have given them a couple different pieces. Go ye into all the world and make disciples and teach them. So what are you going to teach them? So let's say you're the last Christian on earth. Put this hat on for just a second. You're the last Christian on earth. What are you going to teach? Where are you going to start? How are you going to put all that together? Here's your Bible start in Genesis. Let me know when you get to Revelation. You know what's going to happen? They're going to die in the wilderness. Just like most of us do when we read through the Bible. You ever? Yes. Those, that nervous laughter are all the folks that have died in the wilderness when reading through the Bible. Yeah, you get about... Um, Two and a half weeks, you're, you're good to go with Genesis. You start with Exodus. you still got some momentum. You still feel good about this. The beginning of February, very few people make it to Valentine's Day. Very few people make it to Valentine's Day. So, so maybe, maybe there are specific things that we want to point out about the whole to someone that's new. But if we don't understand the whole, where do you start? Right. Does this make sense? Okay. All right, so to fulfill the Great Commission, number two, to confront sin in our lives. Um, sometimes when I read the Bible, I will come across... Here's a steering wheel. I'm going to take out the steering wheel. I'm actually... There we go. And the steering wheel is a little prick used by the Holy Spirit to say, Jim, you have sin in your life in this area. And you know what I like to do? I like to put the steering wheel right back and leave that alone. You know what? When I read through the Bible next time, I'll come back to that. Anybody ever done that? You ever found a verse in Scripture and be like, ah, you know what? I just, I'll just leave that alone. Okay? When you look through the Scriptures this way, all the way through, and you see 94 verses on that concept, it is much more difficult to ignore the steering wheel. Because you see, the steering wheel is actually connected to a race car that Jesus himself is driving over your sin. It's a Ferrari. It's a Ferrari. There, thank you, Dave. Thank you very much. Um, you didn't, so I'm going to have to edit this part out and insert it back in. So you were going to have a comment about some of the shapes. Oh, yeah. Well, not, I, I had a massive box of Legos growing up, but they were all just blocks. We didn't have wheels. We were lucky to have a wheel. It's, it's a wheel! Yeah. So, so when I talked about all of those different folks that have written systematic theologies, do you think they've gotten better or worse over time? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> great answer. Yes is a great answer. Some have gotten hideously worse because they have veered farther and farther and farther away from the Bible itself. 
and veered more into, well, this is my experience. This is my church history. This is all the things that I'm comfortable with right over here. I love the coffee. I'm just going to stay right next to the coffee. The coffee makes me safe, right? And, and some people have taken, I hate coffee, by the way. You, can I, can, it keeps you all safe, yeah. The fact that I don't have coffee before Sunday school is a good thing for you guys. So. Um, and those that have dived in, that, that immersed themselves in the Scripture and used what was written in the past and developed it further and made it better and made it easier to understand and more enticing to dive into, we've got these new Lego pieces, right? And we learn more. One of the beautiful things that I found about studying the Scripture, especially if you start in um, Acts chapter 1 and walk your way through Acts, is that the disciples had their theology refined and polished and expanded over and over and over and over in the book of Acts. It was not as if Jesus gave them Grudem's systematic theology in the back before he went to the cross, and then they studied it, and they were good to go, and then they preached all great theology. That's some really crappy theology. They argued early in the book of Acts whether or not salvation was for Gentiles or not. Whoa, whoa, wait, wait, what? <laughs> this, this is to us is just a fundamental truth. Well, of course the gospel is for everybody. Right? They had to figure this thing out. They were putting the pieces together, and we're still putting pieces together, and that's okay. And there's my iPad way down there. So, <clears throat> didn't do a good job managing my space there today. So, one, fulfill the Great Commission. Two, confront sin in our lives. Three, to be able to make better decisions later on new questions of doctrine that may arise. And this is one of the ones that I love. Because the reality is, um, partial birth abortion didn't exist 100 years ago. Okay? Right? Would we, I, I think I can make that statement safely, right? Okay, 100 years ago. However, if I understand what God says about life all throughout the scriptures, when sin like that shows up, I can feel really confident that Jesus called that sin. Right? Yeah. Bring on the new challenges. That's okay. We have the scriptures, and the scriptures are enough. But if all I ever want to focus on is one little Yeti, I may, not, I may not understand the bigger pictures of what's going on here. So they help us understand and be ready for new challenges. So how should we study this? Well, a couple different ways. Number one, with prayer. Uh, Psalm 119, 18. Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. I love the adjectives in the Bible. Don't you love the adjectives in the Bible? Because this could have been written. He could have written it. Open my eyes that I may see things from your law. Well, yeah, that's good. That's good, too. But he put the word wondrous in there. Because there are wonderful things that exist in all of these pieces. Number two, with humility. With humility. Can somebody read uh, James 3, verses 13, 17, and 18? With music, that's awesome. <laughs> Justin has somehow managed to adapt the Bible app to have background music accompanying him. Oh, by the way, while we're, while we're looking up James 3, um, you know there's a spirituality test on what's the applications on your phone, right? <clears throat> there's four different levels. 
you may have heard this or not, I'm not sure. Uh, the, the lowest level, the least spiritual, is you do not have a Bible application on your phone. I mean, like, come on, really? You don't even love Jesus, right? I mean, let's get with the program. The second to lowest level is if you have a Bible application, but it's on screen like nine. You've got to scroll. Oh, there's the Bible. Okay, I found it. All right. The next to top is the Bible application is on your front screen. You're like, here you go. And the holy of holy phones is that the Bible app is the only app on your phone. Because why do you need anything else, right? So those are the, the four levels of, yeah, you can gauge your spirituality by your applications on your Bible. Some of you, that will be the only thing you remember today, but at least it was about the Bible, right? Okay. So what does James 3, verses 13, 17, and 18 say? Abby, you got it? No, she's playing uh, Flappy Bird because it'll only be available for a few more days in the App Store, right? Or whatever. You got it? Yeah, I got it. Fire away. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But the wisdom of, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Doesn't sound like a lot of arrogance there, does it? Sounds like a lot of, you know what? I'm not going to be boastful about this. Even if I think I've got some of these lines figured out, there's a whole lot of stuff I don't understand. <laughs> a whole lot of stuff. And that's okay. Number three, with reason. With reason. Grudem says, We find in the New Testament that Jesus and the New Testament authors will often quote a verse of Scripture and then draw logical conclusions from it. They reason from Scripture. It is therefore not wrong to use human understanding, human logic, and human reason to draw conclusions from the statements of Scripture. Now, this is good for us, right? Because we get to use the brains that God gave us. You may have, that may sound like your mom's voice in your head there for a second, right? It sounds like my mom's voice a lot in mine. Um, so when I'm picking apart, uh, this should be about, let's see... Mm, Hebrews, right around in here. That sounds about right, doesn't it? So when I'm picking apart Hebrews, and I come to a verse, and it makes a lot of sense, and it seems like a really logical conclusion that, uh, whoops, lost a little doctor in there, I'm sorry. Um, it seems like a really logical conclusion to me that I should uh, cut off all my hair and be bald the rest of my life. <clears throat> this is his precious, by the way. <laughs> um, took me way too long to come up with, but okay. Um, the, the only problem with that is that, that there are verses that you can take out of context and say, well, you know, so-and-so made a vow in the New Testament and shaved off his hair, and, and that was a good thing. Okay. Really? That seems kind of strange. But if you look at the whole story of Scripture, you can reason that maybe that's not normal for all times, right? Does this make sense? So it's okay to use our reasoning in Scripture unless the logical conclusion contradicts something that God has made very plain. Okay? So how many gods do we serve? One. How many persons are in that God? Three. Three. And they are named? Father, Son, and Spirit. 
Do you think that someone could easily misunderstand that to be that we serve three gods? Yeah. Yeah, that's a tough one, right? Yeah, this could be an area where, well, well, logically, if we have a name for the Father, a name for the Son, a name for the Holy Spirit, well, logically, that's three different gods. Well, no, because God's made it very clear in multiple places all throughout Scripture that the Lord, He is one. Okay? Well, we have to take what our logic would have come to a conclusion about and bounce it against what God was very clear about, and we come to the fact that, okay, logic here, that make a lot of sense. We'll go with what God said. Does this make sense? So logic and reason to a point. Number four, with help from others. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 28 says, And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles and prophets and teachers. Yeah, there's others of us that will help us along this way. Uh, number five, by collecting and understanding all relevant passages of Scripture on any topic. Number six, this is the one that he just really, really spends a lot of pages on. With rejoicing and praise. With rejoicing and praise. All right, Justin, yes, Psalm 139.17. Dave, Psalm 19.8. Psalm 119.14. Psalm 119, 103. Psalm 119, 111. Hope you brought your Bible. Psalm 119, 162. And pull up Romans 11 for me. Okay? Justin, you found it? Okay, hang on just a sec. Psalm 119, I'm sorry, Psalm 139, I made him panic there for a second. Psalm 139, 17. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. Psalm 19.8. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Psalm 119.14. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. This guy found Bible study really boring, didn't he? What's the next one? Psalm 119.103. Your promises are sweet to me, sweeter than honey in my mouth. Sweeter than honey in my mouth. Psalm 119.111. Testimonies have I taken as a heritage forever. They are the rejoicing of my heart. The rejoicing of my heart. Isn't that great? Mm-hmm. Psalm 119, 162. I rejoice in your promise like one who finds great spoil. Great spoil or great treasure. This is wonderful. This is a great return on our investment. Romans 11. We're going to read verses 33, 34, 35, and 36. Paul has just finished throwing down on a theological argument. He has come to a logical conclusion comparing chapters and chapters and chapters of information. And this is the result of his spirit. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable fathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. There's a rejoicing that comes as a result of engaging with the scriptures. And this is fantastically wonderful. So there's some questions for personal application. I'm not going to go into those. That's your homework. Take those home. Look them over. You also have a scripture memory passage. Every single week for this entire series, there'll be a scripture passage to memorize. Yes, we will have a quiz at the beginning of every class of the next week on the verse, okay? 
Psalm 119.11. Some of you are like, I heard the yes over here. Praise God for Darla. Um, Psalm 119.11. Your word have I hidden my heart that I might not sin against you. Uh, and then, because he feels that a logical conclusion to any study of Scripture is the joy and the rejoicing of one's heart, there's a hymn at the end of every single chapter. And he picked uh, Charles Wesley's O for a Thousand Tongues to Sing. I'm not going to sing it. I'm going to read it to you. Yes, there you go. O for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and my King, the triumphs of His grace. My gracious Master and my God, assist me to proclaim, to spread through all the earth abroad the honors of Thy name. Jesus, the name that charms our fears, that bids our sorrows cease. Tis music in the sinner's ears, it's life and health and peace. He breaks the power of reigning sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. Here's a couple of verses you may not know. He speaks and listening to his voice, new life the dead receive. The mournful broken hearts rejoice. The humble poor believe. Hear him, ye deaf. His praise, ye dumb. Your loosened tongues employ. Ye blind, behold, your Savior come, and leap, ye lame, for joy. Glory to God, and praise and love be ever, ever given. By saints below and saints above, the church in earth and heaven. Amen. So, that's week one of Systematic Theology. There are somewhere around 50-ish to come that we will spread over the next two and a half to three years. On again, off again, on again, off again. But the next seven weeks are all about the Word of God. And if you want to find the resources for those, you can go to the class Facebook page. And you can find that little book that I gave uh, Talitha. Or you can find the great big book that will cover all seven of the doctrines. I would strongly encourage you to dig in. Darla, would you like to give us a book review of the first X number of chapters so far? It's marvelous. My favorite thing about it is the life application. Nothing that he discusses is just that, just information. He's all about doing something with it. You will do something with this. This is not just storing up knowledge and being prideful of my little Lego set. <coughs> that is not what this is about. All right, so let's take a couple minutes. Let's do our prayer requests at our tables. You'll notice, and I didn't explain this in January, but you'll notice that there is a uh, breakfast bucket at each and every table now, um, trying to improve our numbers here a little bit. So... Uh, That's how we fund breakfast on Sunday morning, so please assist with that. Uh, Write down those prayer requests, pray as a group, and then you are dismissed. Thank you for coming to Sunday School today.